Hey, Danny, how are you? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for uh, coming on um, with me. I uh, start um, every episode with a question of, um, you know, I know you grew up in both Vietnam and spent a lot of time in Vietnam and, and the U.S. What does the word Vietnam mean to you? And what does being Vietnamese mean to you? So I, I came to the U.S. when I was eight. And um, so Vietnam has always been like a distant past, a memory, you know, um, childhood memories, actually. And, um, and, and so that's always what I thought of it as. And um, ever since then, um, I lived in America. So I always saw myself as more American. However, when I moved back to Vietnam around 27 to 30, um, I, I started to uh, learn more about my culture, my homeland. And, you know, for me now, I see it as a modern dream, uh, you know, in, in a sense. A lot of expats, we call it the wild, wild east. And it's not just Vietnamese Americans or Vietnamese Viet Q that are, you know, moving back to Vietnam to, um, you know, find themselves. And also, you know, in, in a sense, uh, we, we feel like the opportunity is there you know, for us more, maybe more so than in the adopted countries that, you know, we live in around the world now. Where uh, did you grow up here in the States? So um, I grew up in Orange County, uh, Costa Mesa area, and then um, I moved to Brea. And, um, you know, just being around in the OC bubble, uh, a lot of EQs would call that. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of led me to moving back to, um, Saigon, Vietnam, and, you know, inevitably changed the whole course of my life in the process. What inspired you to move back to Vietnam? Yeah, you know, going back to just feeling like, you know, you're in a rat race. Uh, during that time, I was in corporate banking. I was making good money, um, you know, but I was, I was also spending a, a good amount of it, too. And, and, and so, um, you know, just uh, feeling that you're in a rat race and, you know, kind of like, like, a, living in a small town, right? Everybody knows everybody. Um, you know, most Vietnamese American growing up there, they end up leaving to go to major cities. The closest would be what? LA, SF, New York. And um, a lot of my friends had moved back to Vietnam during that time. And they were actually born in America. So you know, they weren't even, you know, they were 100% full American. And and they, uh, one of them told me, hey, you know, just go. What do you got to lose? You know, you come back, everything's still the same. <laughs> uh, you know, you're not missing out on much over here. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how I ended up in, in Vietnam. And um, I guess the rest is uh, <laughs> history. Well, look, you have a corporate job, right? You're doing good. You're doing fine. You have money. What, what would it what would make you just like pick up and go? I mean, for fun. And I love the wild, wild East. I've never heard that. That's like really clever, but what would just inspire somebody, a young man to just go to his homeland uh, to relocate? I, I think half of it had to do with my friends was there. And then the other was, um, was like I said, you know, I felt like a, a fork in the road, you know, somewhat of a midlife crisis. But, you know, I was just going back and forth for a couple months. What made me stay there indefinitely was, you know, um, you know, I was dating somebody, you know, and that person became my girlfriend and that girlfriend became my wife. So a very cliche story, but, 
it, it, it worked out. Um, it worked out well for me. Um, yeah. So that mainly I, I, I would say it was out of love that, <laughs> that, that, that made me stay so long. Yeah. And, and so you stay there. You don't obviously have a job right away, right? What did you kind of do to kill your time? And did you think about setting up a career there? You know, when I had moved, I, I went back the, um, I, I had gone back prior before with my parents. And then I also went back with a church group to do mission work. Um, and, um, and that trip was great because I got to see all of Vietnam. We were from, we went from the South all the way up to Gaobang, which is like the, the Northern border where, you know, um, China is, you know, up in like near Sapa and whatnot. It's like eight hours North of Hanoi. Right. Um, and, and, and then after that, I, I, um, that was my third trip back to Vietnam was I was there for three months and it was more or less, you know, like a vacation slash holiday. Um, it, it didn't quite hit me until I came back to America and I told my parents, Hey, I'm going to go back for another three months. And I literally, you know, packed up everything, sold everything I had. And, and I think a week later or two weeks later, I was back in Vietnam. And that's when, you know, I, I think reality starts to set in because expats or Vietnamese going back there for three, six months, you're, you're still not, you know, really living there, right? It's just like a staycation. But once um, once you're there indefinitely and you kind of just let that three months ticket go by, you don't show up at the airport. Yeah. That, 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 that's when, you know, I, I think it sets in and obviously... I had friends there and, and also Saigon is a great network city because everyone's looking to do something and build community and, you know, having expats uh, network, it's, it's a little bit easier because they can help you navigate through, you know, uh, Vietnam's culture and Saigon culture. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I was offered banking positions, real estate, you know, um, you know, stuff of those sorts. And I realized, you know, like I'm doing upper management executive work, <laughs> but they were only paying me, I think that time was like $750 a, a month. Um, that's definitely not enough to if anybody tells you Vietnam is cheap, you know, they they mm -hmm. they they're either going there on a holiday where their family's paying everything for them or they're living in the jungle, man. Yeah. I mean <laughs> it's not cheap. It's, it's a myth. Cheap. Yeah. It's a myth. And Saigon is, is definitely up there with Hong Kong and Singapore. Yeah. It's not you know? a joke. Yeah. yeah it, it's affordable, you know, but you really have to be super thrifty and, mm. and frugal. But then at the end of the day, after a couple of weeks, you start to miss hamburgers, you know, yeah. pizza, <laughs> spam. Those, those things are actually expensive in Vietnam, right? Yeah. Even though yeah. Vietnamese food is real good, but um, you, you still miss some of those things. So so my, my, you know, my only other choice was to, to get into business. Um, I've always, I always had, you know, this business blood in me, but obviously, you know, living in America, do, uh, you know, living that whole American dream, you know, go to school, get into debt, get out of debt, buy a house, get into debt, get out of debt, you know, put more money into Wall Street, you know, like that, um, the white picket fence uh, dream. That you know, everybody um, what sit in traffic for a couple hours a day, work eight hours a day to um, to pay for a house that you only sleep in, you know, 
yeah. a fourth of the time of your life. <laughs> the rat race. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into business. And and my first business was I was it, I was just craving for boiling crab and Cajun and crawfish. And no one has done it. I, I was looking around where I can get something to eat. And I realized no one's done it. And being Saigon is a huge, you know, Vitgu community, expats Food uh, from around the world. Yeah, it, it's an international food city. You know, I kind of had this crazy idea that I, I, I know Americans in Vitgu likes, you know, Vietnamese Cajun stuff. I, I think the 100 million people in Vietnam would like it too. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I convinced uh, my wife, wife to, uh, yeah. to join me in this crazy venture. And we partnered with a friend and, and his wife. Um, and that's kind of how I got into the food and beverage industry. Okay. Can we talk about that? Like sourcing crawfish. How did mm-hmm. that work for you? You know, it was a low, um, it was hard, but easier than I thought. Um, once I did my research, um, you know, for any entrepreneurs or, or business people out there, Google is your friend, honestly. Um, and, and, and so I realized 90% of the crawfish we were eating in America is actually from China. Oh, shit. Yeah, be, be, because, you know, in the South, they barely got enough for themselves, you know, and they eat it. <laughs> Each person eats like yeah. five, 10 pounds in a sitting. So yeah, ever since the early 90s, I would say vast majority of the crawfish consumed in America is actually from China. Wait a minute. So they pack these crawfish, but it's frozen or because we get fresh crawfish during the season in the U.S. That's yeah. But then we also eat frozen. We also process frozen crawfish. So all the frozen crawfish is all from China because the the fresh season is only like one to two months. Right. Yeah, um, it, it, it's only now that Vietnamese Cajun has gotten so popular that people are farming them in Sacramento, in Oregon, and mm-hmm. other areas of the U.S. Before it was predom- predominantly just down in Louisiana and the South, and they barely got enough to to feed themselves, you know, because they 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 love that stuff down there, and 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 so that's when I realized, you know, um, I, I can source it from China, and it's the same stuff. And, um, you know, more or less that that was my partner that was, um, you know, um, behind being able to source crawfish and stuff. I kind of came up with a recipe, you know, um, and then we refined it. it, But I got to give props to my partners for really, you know, taking it off. um, off. And um, 10 years later, you know, we're still in business. We made money the first month. You, You still have the crawfish business? In Vietnam? Yeah, well, my, um, so my partner still does. I um, I gave that up when, when I moved back to the States five years ago to launch the uh, Sunfish Sauce. But they got like three locations now. They're opening a fourth one. Um, it's called the Cajun Cool. So it's, you know, a little bit of English and a little yeah, bit of yeah. Vietnamese. Yeah, and they're, they're doing great. And um, so that's kind of how I got into the food, food and beverage industry. I, you know, I give it up to all the chefs and restaurateurs out there. Yeah, man. Um, and, and we only had in the beginning, we only had one or one item on the menu. Basically, it was assorted seafood. We steam it and we mix it with the sauce in the bag. I thought, how hard could it be? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it was definitely a learning curve. And it, it, it gave me a lot of respects to, you know, people in the food food service industry. Um, 
and also, you know, how much shit they have to go through <laughs> dealing with customers. <laughs> it's very true. I think um, in order to become a full human being, a whole person, <laughs> you yeah. have to spend time on the floor in a restaurant sometimes, man. Yeah. I would love to have my children one day, you know, each work at least a year um, in a restaurant, both front of the house and back of the house, so they can uh -huh. and the value of hard work. And you got to deal and interface with people from all around every walk of, you know, of life. And it, it's, it's, it's a tough game. Yeah, definitely. You know, me and my wife, we were working like 12, 14 hour days. And then we would have friends visit from, you know, the US or Europe or whatnot. And, you know, obviously we take them out and go party afterwards. I, I mean, sleeping on two to four hour days, but you know, me and my wife thinking back, those were like the, one of the best times of our lives, you know? <laughs> Ironically, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, I've, had, I've had two restaurants and, uh, you know, before I opened up the first one and the second one, before you open up, you're like fantasizing on how amazing that lifestyle is. But God, uh -huh. when you get into it, it's so grueling. Mm, mm. You, you, you'll never work as hard physically. Um, as you did while you work in a, in a restaurant. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and by, uh, to be honest, by one year's end, I was looking at the numbers, you know, we were very fortunate to never lose money since the first month, but I mean, the net profit we were making versus the hours we were putting in it, 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 it almost seemed like I ended up getting paid less than the seven fifty that I was offered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's hard to crawl out of that deficit, you know? You you look at the numbers, you're like, how long is it going to take for more people to come in and sit and enjoy the food to I can make more than $750 a month, you know? Yeah, the funny thing is I keep thinking, okay, if I get this amount of uh, customers on a daily basis, I'm going to make X amount of money. But then coming in with zero restaurant experience, I didn't realize the more customer came in, it also equal uh, a lot more costs as well. Increases your overhead. Yeah, you know, just basic toilet paper, just basic yeah. wash hands washing soap, you know. So, but it was definitely a great learning curve. And and um I, I truly believe that you don't choose your career, but your career chooses you. I I I was slowly being led into the food and beverage industry without knowing it, you know, and and so um and so that that kind of gave me insights on the food service aspect of running a fish sauce company and you're right you know the business i'm in is predominantly you know 100 percent asian vietnamese but the funny thing is is that i also felt like i'm i'm playing in an old man's game you know because everybody that's in this industry are i would say average like the youngest would be like in their 60s <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah and, and so it's pretty funny sometimes when i when i go meetings meet distributors or supermarket owners and stuff you know they're they're kind of they're kind of surprised by me and my wife when they see us <laughs> yeah. how did you transition into the nick mom business so i just went for it man i had zero experience i didn't know anything I mean, the only thing I had under my belt was the fact that my wife's family was already producing a great product for the last 70 years. Her great-grandfather started in 1951. And so that, that was the only thing I had to go on. But obviously, to me, I feel that's the most important thing, right? Because if you have a good product, at least the other mistakes you make, you can fix it. But if you got a bad product, that's kind of tough to fix. 
And, and so, you know, we were very, um, I was, um, and, and in the type of person that I am, I don't mind asking people things if I don't know stuff. And so before launch, uh, when before launching in America, I, I literally just asked all my friends and relatives, hey, you don't anybody that own supermarkets or in, you know, that space. And I, I guess I found out that a, 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 an uncle of mine actually invested into some Bolsa supermarkets. And so that's how we got our first break, you know? Wow. And, 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 and so I, I was very lucky that he did that because it opened the door for me to, yeah. you know, have some type of connection with the owner. And then he allowed me to sell the fish sauce in his supermarket. And let me tell you, starting out with a brand new brand, it's all consignment, bro. I mean, like, you yeah. know, you got you to put out the money to buy the product in Vietnam. You know, we, we, we didn't get a, a, a free pass from the family, nor did we want to, you know. So we bought the fish sauce, we bottled it, and we sold it over here. And then we, we had to, um, the term is goi dao, right? It's like a consignment. Uh, so whenever they sell it, then they pay you. Yeah. And it was a learning curve. I mean, at first, the cap had issues. You know, um, uh, labeling wasn't up to spec. Um, I didn't know anything about logistics or brokering, you know, brokers handling containers and whatnot. So I, well, I I had to learn it all from the bottom up. But what but what what I what I realized was that you know if you don't know something, just ask them. And a lot of times they're 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 helpful. They're not. But either way, whether they answer you or don't answer you or kind of answer you, you can learn a lot from it. And 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 also I realized you know you just got to pay your dues, right? Um, we 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 became our own distributor. We did our own warehousing. Hell, we were the sample ladies <laughs> at the supermarkets, you know. Um, at first, it's funny. Sometimes they they see us too young, you know. For them, we're young kids, right? In our early twenties, you know, standing there, they didn't think we were selling fish sauce. They they thought we were, you know, like. Um, sometimes they said, "Oh, I thought you guys were like uh, singers trying to sell your CDs or promote a concert or something." <laughs> it's really funny. Um, and, and then a lot of times too, they, they also said, oh, I, I know where your family island is, or I know where your area is. The reason why is that a lot of people went down there to Yukbin, right? Because we're right next to Thailand and Cambodia. And so a lot of people down, went down to Rakhia. Port, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of, you know, Southerners um, that uh, it's easier for them to, to, to leave the country. And so sometimes they would tell us stories and stuff. So so it was um, it 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 was very eye opening, um, you know, experience. And 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 I think that's crucial to starting any business is that you got to work from the ground up, even if you're the owner or the boss, because then how else will you be able to scale? How else will you be able to know that you know you're doing the right thing or you're not getting scammed or screwed over? Absolutely. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm important to really roll your sleeves up and, and hang in there for a few years mm -hmm. before you see any sort of uh, financial turnaround. Now, when you go to your, you leave your, your, um, your uh, uh, Cajun uh, food business in Saigon, you step off and you tell your wife, um, okay, let's, I mean, how did that transpire? How did that, uh, you transition into that business? 
you know, I've been very fortunate that my wife is very supportive of me. She kind of just um, support me on a dime, you know. <laughs> and 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 so when I told her, and then she said, okay. And and then pretty much, I believe six months later, we were in America. So, <laughs> so so we just kind of, uh, I guess we're a type of people that we just kind of go for it and do it, right? We don't sit and mold over it and think too much. I think the, the the more you start thinking into it, you're you're, you're going to um, analysis paralysis. Yeah, exactly. And so um, and so that was the. It was also like this when we came to America. We literally lived in a different city every year because we we're moving around, setting up business. At a time, we were actually looking into manufacturing fish sauce in America too, and so we lived down in the south for about a year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And and I feel really bad because for some damn reason, we would always get up and travel or move during her birthday. <laughs> and so, and so we, we never got to really, you know, um, celebrate. Uh, celebrate her birthday. And it, it, I don't know why, but for some reason, you know, we would go to Vietnam during that, which is, you know, January and February. And by the time we come back in March, which is her birthday, you know, we would make moves for the next year, right? deciding what we're going to do and, and, and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's how we, 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 we just, we just did everything on our own because I kind of felt like I don't want to live, leave my business up to somebody else, Yeah, you know, to determine how much I'm going to be able to sell my product in terms of volume. And, and I learned that the hard way, you know, because usually you have a distributor takeover you know, you hope that they would, you know, do their best to push your product, but then you realize they got 40 other, 40,000 other products. They don't do it. Yeah. And, 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 and so, and, and, and so we, we had to, to, to do that. And then there's, there's this, also this thing I call the great wall of Asia in, yeah. in America, which is, you know, Asian people were creatures of habits and the older generations are even more so. Right. And I don't blame them. You know, a lot of them are refugees. They came over with nothing. So they do have to pinch their pennies. But, you know, for me, being in the food industry, I don't believe in poison for profits. And 99% of the Asian products out there are all chemicals. That's why we have such a high rate of cancer, you know, in, in the Asian community. Whereas, I don't think this was that high in Asia before, you know, when we were eating rice, fish sauce, soy sauce, and vegetables, you know, or like local fish and meat products. It's it's all these, you know, chemical products that that are in the supermarket, and and so that in a sense led us to do sun fish sauce as well, because I'm always a person where I say if you eat something every day, you should be wary of it. Like you eat rice every day, you eat fish sauce or soy sauce every day. Those are the stuff you should care about because you're consuming it daily. But, you know, stuff you eat on the weekends or once in a while, you know, go, go wild, you know, <laughs> go crazy. And, and, so, um, and so that was essentially why we wanted to have a product on the shelf for Vietnamese people that is high quality, that's a premium product. And also something our people can be proud of, you know. When, um, when we you, don't really have, uh huh. Go ahead. When you walked into um, your family's fish sauce operation for the first time in your life, mm. 
Did you ever have prior experience to that manufacturing process or is it the first time you saw it? First time I saw it and I was expecting the worst, you know, I was thinking this is based on stories I've heard people saying, oh, there's worms in fish sauce or it smells really bad. And then when I realized the traditional and real way of making fish sauce, when you walk into it, it actually smells like a smokehouse, like you're smoking salmon. It's actually fragrant. Okay. The reason why people heard of like the, the thing with the worms is that certain areas of Vietnam, they don't have fresh fish to make fish sauce from. And so by nature, the worms will happen. Okay. And then, and, and then also when it smells is because some fish sauce factory is not near water. They're, they're actually not on island, but they're on land. Yeah. So they're unable to wash and clean their factories daily. You know, we're, we're as we're on an island right next to water. So we just wash all the fish and back the, out. The, the, yeah, 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 yeah. With salt water and stuff. And so the, the, the fish sauce factory that smells is not from the, the barrels itself. It's actually from it being dirty oh. with fish and, and, and stuff, you know, like everything's done by hand. And then also people don't realize anything with more than, I believe, 90, 70 or 90 percent salinity actually kills 99.9 percent .9 of bacteria. No, I'm sorry. 20 percent salinity. So anything 20% more salt, wow. it automatically kills 99.9%. And so being in a fish sauce factory with so much sea salt around, there's actually no cockroaches, no rodents. You know, they all stay away. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, so when you look at the traditional method of production, it's, it's actually a lot safer and more cleaner than the new stuff because the new stuff, guess what? These chemicals they're putting into to, you know, kill all the bacteria and stuff. Well, it's also going to kill you. Right. Yeah. Can you tell <laughs> so, me about the production of, of fish sauce from from the first? I you know if there's anything proprietary, you don't have to share. But I would love to hear as much as actually. I there's nothing proprietary about traditional fish sauce making um, process. Um, it's it's simple, but obviously the more simple it is, the tougher it actually is. Right. And so the best way of doing it is that you have your own fleet of boats. You harvest your own anchovies because you can control the freshness level. Because if you buy from other fishermen, they're not gonna salt the fish because they wanna sell it to other people too. So when you have your own fleet of boats, you catch the anchovies and then you salt your own fish, right? Excuse me. You salt it on the, the, the boat. And so what that does is that it starts the fermentation process right away. And it also um, you know, makes sure that the histamine level is very low. What is that? What's the histamine level? The histamine level, it's, um, it's actually almost not a non-issue. Here's why. Back in the early, I believe, 50s or 60s, Americans started eating a lot of canned products. And so there was an outbreak of canned tunas that they were getting allergies with, okay? And then so ever since after that, any canned food products, that's seafood, there is a histamine level where um, the fish, um, the fish has to be underneath so people don't get allergic to it. I'm not a food scientist, but that's the best way I can explain it. it. However, when I say it's a non-issue, it's because histamine levels are through the roof with cheese and artisanal cheeses, but yet nobody had any issues with that. So 
you know, if you really dig into it, I think people just had allergies to, to fish or tuna. It had nothing to do with histamine level. Right. But, um, you know, that that's kind of what dictates um, fish sauce um, production and, and import and export into different countries. They're always asked about the histamine levels. They don't want people to get allergic to it. It's kind of like when, when fish and seafood uh, uh, dies, it kind of sends a signal throughout the rest of the body and it starts decomposing, right? Um, so, so that's why, um, and then that, that, that process also, also raises the histamine level in the fish. And so that's why we salt it right away on the boat, right? And then we bring it in and then we basically mix it 70% anchovy, 30% sea salt, that's it. And then you let it, you let mother nature do its course. And after about 12 months, the liquid that comes out is what we bottle. And so the first liquid is considered nukmam yi, which is kind of, um, the term means it's like dripping yi, yeah. right? And, 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 and so that's all it means because back in the day it was in wooden barrels and it would, there would be cracks and then the family would put up, you know, something underneath to, to, to hold it in and then they would just use it to eat because it, it was very little. And then that's considered the best because it's been unblended, it's been unfiltered, unprocessed, untouched, right? Um, and, and then we actually do this for seven times. We put seawater in after each time. Think of it as making cafe fiend, like Vietnamese-style drip coffee. And then each level, you would have less and less fish oil. And so that determines the... Um, you have uh, a standard 40 degrees, which means essentially is nuk mam yi. But the reality is each barrel, if you make it the traditional artisanal way, each barrel, you got skinny fish, you got fat fish, right? Yeah. And so certain, certain barrels will, will range different degrees. So on average, a first press will actually be anywhere between 33 to 43 degrees for anchovies. Um, why do we use... What is, that, uh -huh. what is the 43, 33 degrees signify? Protein level? So we were... Yeah, so we were, um, you know, colonized by the French, and then we used their method to determine the amount of fish oil in fish sauce per liter. Okay, and 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 so, but um, and so that's why we just use we just called it forty no dam. No dam. Yeah. The first no dam is is like fish oil, but for some reason it translates over to degrees. I have um, that I don't know. I, I don't know why. Some sometimes certain names are just given because maybe poor translation in the past, and it just kind of stuck. What is dam? Dam is like essence, or yeah, um, dam. I would say is yeah. I, I would say like the the concentration. Concentration because no it. means no means degrees, which can just are be articulated to a a unit of measurement. Right. And then dam is what I'm interested in is what does that mean? That means yeah, it's the, 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 the concentration. So basically how we do it is that we actually we we, we actually have uh, one of our uncle is like um, he studied chemistry. So he does all the rating for us on site. And so but it's actually measured by liter. OK, so 40 it's 40 grams of fish, um, uh, 40 grams of nitrogen per liter. Because what happens is that when the fish goes through fermentation, the amino acids actually get um, changed over to protein, right? And so it's just a concentration of fish oil protein. Now, what's special about this is that 
most of the fish oil pills that we drink, uh, we, we take in America, they, they're anchovy oil. And, and, and so essentially, you know, like you eating natural fish sauce, you know, it's very um, high in that kind of uh, omega. Exactly. Yeah. Because um, and, and then the anchovies, what's special about them, too, is that they're the size of my pinky. And so they don't eat other fish. They're vegetarians. They eat planktons. So think about it when you're fermenting a fish for 12 months. If the gut is not big and there's no other fish in it, it's going to give you a lot more fragrant prof uh, flavor profile versus other areas in Vietnam where they don't have an abundance of anchovies. And so they have to use whatever fish that's available. And so it kind of becomes um, it, it's not as flavorful or um, or uh, fragrant. That makes a lot of sense. Um, when you go to um, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seven um, iterations, do you have to mix the barrel up or you just pour water into it and then just take it from the tap? So what we do is that we pour seawater into one of the barrels and then it uh, and then it's another month before the liquid goes through and comes out. It's not like right away, like making coffee or anything. And then we actually mix it with the second barrel and third barrel. And so, uh, uh, and so this is how we're able to pull out as much fish oil as possible, right? And then after the seventh time, there's barely any uh, fish uh, flesh left. There's barely any sea salt left. And that leftover, we actually sell it to manufacturers that make the fish sauce that 99% of the world consumes, 99% of America consume. That's why if you read the in ingredient, it should only say three words for real fish sauce, anchovy, sea, salt, three words. If you see anchovy extract, that's not fish. That's basically the leftover that we sold to them. They dry it, they powderize it, and now they're mixing it with water, sugar. Um, uh, a lot of fish, some company, they don't like to use the word MSG, so they use the word hydrolyzed vegetable uh, protein which is essentially MSG. And so that's why 99% of the fish sauce that Vitgues eat and growing up with it, they're not actually eating real fish sauce. They're eating commercial, commercial fish sauce and it's fake and it's watered down. It's, we actually call it nook jam now. It's not, it's not nook mum anymore because it's been diluted down with water and sugar and other chemicals. And so that's why a lot of people, when they try the real deal, they're like, oh, why is it saltier? Because that's pure fish sauce. What do you think fish sauce is made from? <laughs> okay. You know, it's fish oil and sea salt. Danny, let me ask you this. And um, uh -huh. I got to ask in a way where I don't get too um, all up in your business. But OK, uh -huh. so if anybody is proclaiming that they're making whiskey or nukmam or any of these fermented processes in a, in a high level way, like I'm using the best shit, right? Uh -huh. We always have to think about the economies of scale, like the back end of the the way the infrastructure of the money works, right? And mm -hmm. I always go back to that. I'm like, okay, so does that mean your bottle of fish sauce, if if you if it's really like I'm having like obviously I'm not having the not the first quality, but I'm having, you know, three, four, five, six, seven down the road. That water is basically coming from a very um good source. Does that mean that your fish sauce is more expensive or are you competing on a dollar level with the rest of the fake brands of fish sauce out there? 
You know, unfortunately, you know, we have this saying, this is why we cannot have nice things, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I can't take you anywhere, man. (laughs) And so basically, you know, like, yes, with the Vietnamese supermarket, we've tried our best to be as close to the commercial brands as possible. But in reality, it takes us one year to produce our product and we actually use real fish versus the other ones. You know, it's basically just a mixture of different uh, chemicals, uh, chemicals together and you get a product. And 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 so the funny thing is that when I sell my product to American and Western marketplaces, they're like, wow, you know, this is a great product. It's so cheap for how for the, the length you you go through to to make this. And then when you take it to a Vietnamese supermarket, oh, why is it so expensive? How come it's not like that dollar fish sauce? that everybody's buying. Now, when you're talking about a business or economy of scale, I would really hope that the consumers kind of realize the glass bottle costs money, the label costs money, the cap costs money, supermarket has to make their markup, distributor has to make their markup, manufacturers got to make their markup. That's almost like 10 levels, right? So if it's only a, you're only buying it for a dollar, like what the hell do you think is in that bottle? Yeah, absolutely. Realistically, the liquid that's in that bottle is cheaper than the labels, the glass, the cap that is made in. And so you really should be worried like, hey, this is, should I be consuming this shit? You know, <laughs> in the supermarket, we call it, they call it salt water. They don't yeah. even call it fish stocks. It's salt, I mean, clear I, salt I, water. I mean, the, the shit that's being sold, I think there's bottles out there. I'm not going to name brands because that's not mm-hmm. important, but there are bottles out there for $9 or $10, whatever. Are they rooting in real fish? Is Are we, all right, here's my question. Are we really getting, uh-huh. are we really getting the product that we're being promised? for at 10 bucks a bottle? I would say, I, I, I would say 99% yes, okay? It always goes back to this. Fish sauce is not regulated in America. However, ingredients list is by the FDA. Okay. So whatever you put in their bottle and you don't list it or you do list it and it's not there, customs will eventually get you, okay? So I always tell my customer, forget what people are advertising on the front. And this goes to any food. Just read the ingredients list. If you read it and you can comprehend it, that's good. If you think it's out of a page of your chemistry class that you had in college, maybe yeah. stir, stir away, right? And and yeah. this can, this is not just fish sauce. This is with everything. Anything. Yeah. And then after that, it comes to personal taste and preference. And so, and 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 so going back to what you're saying, you know, like pure fish sauce is. pure. So yes, my product is a little more expensive, but if you want it to taste like the commercial brand, I tell people just add more water, dilute it down because it has three times more fish oil or just use less of it. So if you're thinking about it in that way, you're getting more quality for quantity and, and it actually comes out to be the same price or cheaper than the commercial brands that's available out there. You know, and and then this actually works really well for us in the restaurant business. We we work with a lot of Michelin restaurants, James Beard winners, Asia's top 50. We're in all the Las Vegas casinos. They all use our fish sauce because in professional kitchens, they understand, hey, this is a pure product. If I want more umami, I don't have to add, I don't have to get more MSG, more sugar, more of the other stuff that's in the other fish sauce. And I can actually control what I put in my food. 
And to me, that's so important because on the retail side, if your grandparents, your parents are eating every day, they should have control what they put in their body because, because obviously we talked about the rise in, you know, cancer rates in, in Vietnamese population. And I'm telling you, it's all food, man. Yeah, 100%. You know, there's so many documentaries out now because of the food and what we put in our bodies. And it's hard to mitigate in our brains that we got to stay away from the, the quick, easy, cheap food. Um, yeah, the problem with our Vietnamese population is, you know, we, we pinch for nickels and dimes. But then I would say going to the hospital with, with cancer is a lot more expensive than spending a couple extra bucks a day um, a couple extra bucks a week in, in grocery shopping, you know, and, and I think it, it's up to the younger generation to educate the older generation and then thus setting a precedence for, you know, our kids that we're going to have, you know, um, I'm not going to tell people which brand to buy or what to do, but all I say is just read the ingredients list. You know, I think that's another issue in, in the Vietnamese culture. We don't read things. You know, like <laughs> every culture, we, we, you know, in American English speaking culture, many people, I think human beings are just wired to not really pay attention to it, you know, yeah. we're just not, not thinking about it um, because it's in our face. It's cheap. It's a dollar 99 for, for, for this brand. I'm going to buy yeah. that because it's cheaper and I don't need a whole lot of it in my cooking. I just put a little, so I'm not thinking like the long, deep repercussions. And, and, and to be fair, chemical products, you know, they make tastier foods. I mean, they're engineered that way, right? right? Like GMO products and, and, and whatnot. But reality is, you know, being an adult, you got to choose what's good for you and what's bad for you. Yeah. It, it almost goes back to, um, um, you know, learning stuff as a kid, you know, this is not good. Don't eat it all the time. You know, it's going to make your tooth fall out, right? Too much sugar. I, I <laughs> spend a whole lot of time eating at Michelin restaurants because obviously financial, you know, financial implications. But if you uh -huh. at like these really high-end restaurants that are known for their flavor profiles, you really begin to understand that there's not a lot that really goes into it other than very pure ingredients. And it's stripped down and you, you, you're you tasting bursts of flavors that come into your, your taste buds. And uh -huh. I think the thing about like the anchovy process that you're talking about, salting it and not putting chemicals, it's another, another aspect of, of food that we don't think about too, is that natural uh, decomposition of the fish's flesh that's happening. And then we get it hit right on our taste buds from... I would love to taste the mummy. I've heard it my whole my whole life, and that is something that um, is at the core of this sort of idea of like the natural process. That's like the first, the first quality, the first drip that comes out of that barrel. Uh, yeah, we actually we actually sell nook mummy, the real deal in America. We've been selling it for the last five years. And going back to what you were saying is that this is why our people can't have nice things. <laughs> they started complaining too much about the price and all that stuff. And uh, I got to a point where I'm like, forget, forget this. You know, I'd rather sell it to Australia. I'd rather sell it to Hong Kong, okay. Singapore, Europe. Where uh, And then we're actually entering the Middle East where uh, people are, are appreciative of our product. You know, it's 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 tiresome, you know, getting shit on day in and day out when when you're trying to put out a good product, when you're, you know, being honest about your product. 
And reality is, is that, you know, your family comes from fish sauce background. It's not easy to come by. Very you know, I, I don't want to be pompous and say, hey, you know, you should actually thank me, thanking me for allowing you to buy this because reality is nobody would sell it because it's so pure and so potent. They would actually water it down with other blends. Yeah. And guess what? To make more money. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. But our whole idea was to have something on the shelf where our people can be proud of history, heritage, you know, culture. But that, and, that, um, that almost requires you to kind of educate the, the mass public too, right? Like it's like, yes. like we have to uh-huh. explain to people how whiskey or scotch or whatever is being made. And that sort of that distinction of that process is what becomes part of our kind of understanding of what we're tasting on our, what's hitting our taste bud. And then we can make that distinction. And then year after year, we can start to have the nice things. You know, I, I, I think it comes from, you know, I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I don't want to say it, but reality is, is that, you know, our younger generation, we ask for nice things. We demand nice things. We're willing to pay for nice things. We're appreciative of nice things, right? In all aspects of life. But, you know, I, I, I think the older generation, you know, definitely the war had to be, had to do a big deal with it. You know, um, and I'm sure all of them went through, you know, um, post-traumatic, you know, stress syndrome. And so I I think that also hindrance, you know, a a huge factor of why they're, you know, they're not willing to spend that money for if people were to use real fall bones to make fall. Right. You know, and charge $10 bowl, but, you know, they're okay with buying $5 bowls with beef bullion, you know, powder making pho. Dude, uh, I, can, I can get into this right now. This pho thing. Yeah, we should get into it. I mean, because Vietnamese cuisine is all encompassing our daily lives, right? Yeah. <laughs> Look, man, I want to put this out there for everybody listening. Here's the deal with the pho thing. If you want to know if fucking people are using bullion at the restaurants or you want to use, okay, here's a... Everybody needs to do this with their local pho restaurant because you need to know what the fuck you're putting in your body at this level, right? Okay, so here's the deal. If you make pho with uh, beef bones and you do a lot of beef bones and you put it in a pot and you boil it for like eight hours to 12 hours, gelatin comes out of the bones. Yep. When you go to not freeze it, but cool it down in the refrigerator, that becomes jello. It becomes a heavy jello. Now. If you, back in the day when I was growing up, we'd go to these far restaurants that were still cooking with the bones and, you know, people hadn't got smart and then and, and shifty about like the shit that they use. So what they would do is use real beef bones and we would be sipping on real beef bones. So now when you go to these restaurants, put your to-go shit broth inside a refrigerator. And if the next day you're, you're luck, 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 and you're shaking <laughs> the shit up and it's not gel- gelatin, you are drinking powder. You know, that's funny you mentioned that too, because we actually have that for the fish toss test as well. Oh, really? Because remember going back when I told you commercial fish sauce, what do they add in one of their ingredients? It's water. What happens when you put water in a freezer? It freezes up. And so there's a lot of fish sauce, which is essentially called salt water. So salt water will, will make it freeze slower. But eventually, it might freeze in a freezer. 
right? Because you're adding water into the fish sauce. Fascinating. Same, same thinking, so, right? But going back to your fa thing, I um I've heard um I've heard a, a faster way of doing this. <laughs> you go to a fa place, you ask for nuke mail. If they don't have nuke mail, that means oh, they made it because you, you can find out right away, right? Because when you're cooking with the bones or because to be fair, there are certain pho varieties where they don't use bone marrow. They'll use a different. So, so it won't gelatin up as much, but it will a little bit. But if you go there, you sit down, you ask for nuke mayo, which is like the, uh, the, beef fat, the, the, the beef fat that gets skimmed up on top. The Japanese, they save it for their, their, their ramen, uh, the crazy ramen customer that wants an extra helping of that fat. So you go to any pho restaurant, um, and then nuke bale is actually in all the broth, right? Because it comes out from pork bones, chicken. And, and so if you're eating chicken pho, beef pho, or hutiu, or some of the other stuff, ask them for nuke bale. If they have it, then you know they're really cooking with bones. <laughs> cool, man. You yeah. know, the things that, you know, we don't think about as consumers regularly, right? We, we, we just go in and we just consume, and the shit tastes so good. But you take a step back and you're like, fuck, man, what's this is nightmare that we're consuming in our body, right? And it's it's crazy. This is not something that we have, we should have to worry about. But the problem with our culture is that I feel like it's a race to the bottom where nobody wins. <laughs> you know, like everybody's trying to, first of all, each plaza should only have one pho restaurant. But for some reason, there's always two or three. Secondly, you know, we're pricing ourselves yeah. out. You know, oh, eight dollars. I'm gonna do seven. Oh, I'm gonna do six. I'm gonna do five. Hell, why don't you just give it for free so you can be packed all day long and and, and go out of business in a month? You know, <laughs> and 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 you know, speaking on that, COVID was a horrible thing for the restaurant business, obviously. Yeah. But I kind of felt like it was also a great um, cleansing. Yes, um, kind of like in the Bible where Moses, where where the water came and you know swept everybody away. Because, you know, um, I give props to restaurants and, and, you know, hard workers, but I don't give props to people popping up restaurants just to make a buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they don't care about their food. They don't care about their customer. They're only in it for the money and they don't care about their community either. They're just slashing prices left and right just to steal customers. And one positive thing that COVID did was that it washed out all those BS restaurants away. I tell all my restaurant vendors, man, just try to make it out of this because all your idiot competitors out there that's slashing your prices, doing all that stuff, they'll be gone because they're, they're, they're not in it for the long run. Um, they might just even have enough money for month to month because they're, they're trying to, you know, steal all the customers and and I I think instead of competing to be better, we're competing to be worse, right? Let me let me get into the the price structure of pho, and let me get into uh -huh. the price structure of nuk mum. Uh -huh. Price structure and sorry, disclaimer. Did did you used to have pho restaurants or yeah. something? Yeah, and I still, <laughs> okay, still, nice, okay. Still in that business, <laughs> although I'm making pho tacos now uh, on the street. Oh, nice, yeah. okay. I've, I've fed my family uh, for the last 10 years uh, with pho tacos. Gimmicky as uh -huh. it sounds, but okay. So, but in 97, I had a pho restaurant by UCLA in, in LA. Okay, okay. It's like 21, didn't know anything. But, uh, but what I've learned is this. Okay, so if a bowl of pho costs 10 bucks, right? Uh-huh. It, it basically food costs is what, 20 to 25%? Mm. So, 
the amount of bone bone marrow the gas to burn the the, the liquid the and the time the, to keep track of it time it yeah all of those ingredients if you're selling a bowl of pho for 10 bucks which is very high on the high side in orange county if you're selling a bowl of pho for 10 bucks your food ingredients and all that is at 250 that's nothing and people don't even people don't even think about the fact that you got to give them poison sauce, sriracha sauce, bean awesome. sprouts, yep, holy basil, and all the other and all the other stuff that is you know like supposedly free, but it's not free. You know, it's free for the con- customer, but it's not free for you. You know, and 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 so you know, I I, I definitely feel you on that. Yeah, and you so, know what? A lot of people can compare pho to ramen. How come ramen they can charge fifteen to twenty day, uh, dollars, and Vietnamese customer go in there and eat, and they don't bat an eye, and they they actually say thank you when they leave, right? Um, here, I'll tell you why. Because no Japanese ramen shop will start pricing each other down. <laughs> they just won't do it. Well, let's take a step. So, let's take even take uh-huh. a step even deeper into the culture, Japanese and Vietnamese, and that in just that aspect. Their level of quality is something that we as a the world expects from the Japanese. We're like, those fuckers are gonna do something right and they go hard, right? Especially ramen shop. If you're gonna be on the map, you gotta go and do it right. Whereas I think for the Vietnamese side, we we kind of have this culture of, and we I talked about this on the show before, and then that is a race to the bottom about the quality. And that is where we're at right now. Well, here's the thing: I agree with you 50%. Here's why I don't agree on the other 50. Well, not don't agree, but this is what I also saw. So I I, I went to Japan. Uh, We have family over there. So I visited Japan a couple of times. And like most Asian kids growing up, I loved anime and then got into JDM cars and, you know, all that good stuff. What I realized about the Japanese myth is this. Yes, their high end stuff is very high end and they, they, they commit themselves to that level. However, that's a very small percentage of the population. A lot of people think Japanese food is the most healthy, but in reality, Japanese were the ones that invented synthetic MSG. Mm. Okay, synthetic MSG and natural MSG are two different things. Natural MSG is, is in cheese, is in tomato sauce, it's in obviously fish sauce. Is in uh, dry fish products. Hence, you understand why Italian, French, and Vietnamese food tend to be a little bit more popular than other foods. And then obviously, Korean, Chinese, and Japanese food has a lot of fermented stuff, and that creates natural MSG. <clears throat> okay, so going back to the Japanese myth is that, yes, they have a lot of, you know, bar none, there's a reason why they got so they got more Michelin stars than everybody else. Yeah. However, that's a very small percentage of the food community. If you were to go to Japan and stay there for more than a week or two, meaning you stop eating at all the hotspot restaurants and start eating at daily restaurants, it's all preservatives. Most of them eat food that's in 7-Eleven or vending machines. And obviously, those udon, those ramen, those sandwiches, those croquets, there's a shitload of preservatives in it. Okay, that's the first myth. The second myth is that Japanese ramen one th- you, one thing that will always leave you um, after you leave eating that bowl is yeah, your mouth is going to be real dry. Yes, from what? Sodium. It, yeah, sodium. Monso uh, glu- glucosamine monsodium, right? Basically MSG. 
And so my point in this is that Vietnamese and Chinese restaurant get a bad rap for yep. dumping MSG yep. into it. What do you think that damn bowl of ramen has in there? <laughs> you know? And, you know, so it goes back to my theory is that all it is is that the Japanese are unwilling to lower their price. They will compete with each other on service, customer service, on presentation, mm-hmm. social media, whatever it takes. But they're not going to lower their price. Undercut each other, yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they're not using MSG or that doesn't mean they're not using, you know, ingredients that. And if you think about a bowl of ramen, if you want some bean sprouts on the side, that's another dollar fifty, bro. Yep. yep. But when you go when you go eat pho restaurant, you know, you can have you can have first helping, second helping, maybe third helping if you're lucky. Right. <laughs> so I, 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 I think it's 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 actually. A lot of the Vietnamese restaurants always say, oh, they're afraid they're going to lose customers. And I think, why? Why are you afraid you're going to lose customer? Are you doing something shady or are you, you know, like not giving them a high quality product? Because this, this fear, I, I feel, comes from the price wars that they have with each other. Well, we can go into the history of Vietnam and not even talk <laughs> about, we don't even have to talk about the war. We could just talk about coming in the early, early days of famine and starvation in the north, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. in, in the days of uh, the bombings of, of the Japanese in the, in the World War II, where they would have villages wiped out. And then they have, I mean, I'll go back way further where, you know, these people were living in cold climates up, up in the north, and they developed sort of this sort of attitude of, of preserving money and not just being very frugal because they had to jayak or they had to um, really survive with very little. And then I think, you know, after 1954, you get a million people coming down to the South, you know, uh-huh, the North, uh-huh. and then they become so adept at, at business because they had to really battle and deal with not having food. And yeah, they're used to p- pinching pennies all their lives. And, and, all their lives, yeah. And, and, and so that's actually a great catalyst for being good businessmen. Hundred, hundred percent. And yeah, and you bring that over to the U.S., and you have this group of people who are just very frugal. So they're going to have this idea of like, well, how can I do sustenance to my body and maintain my body at the lowest price possible? Because I'm trying to build this amazing opportunity to make money and to the food is not important that's not part of our culture to eat the best and the best you know at the quality that we they they're, they're it's not even on their radar yeah you, you know it's it's great that you brought this up because uh you know like being in the business that we are we have the opportunity to um i say we might i might me and my wife might be the only one that have eaten at 90 percent of modern vietnamese restaurants around the world you know, just by default, because, you know, there a lot of them are our clients. And what we real, uh, realized talking to, you know, the younger generation, mainly, you know, us and, and whatnot, is that the mom and pop mentality, it was the only thing available to them when yeah. they came here. I don't blame them. And I'm glad some of them, some a lot, a lot of them, of them. Made, you know, all the OG restaurants, you know, they, they, they make good money to go from generation to the next. However, the glass ceiling is that they can't scale. They can't grow the Vietnamese cuisine business into a mainstream model. Yeah. So when I see younger restaurateurs like yourself, 
and um, other chefs that we visited, they're not secretive of their recipes. They're not secretive of the way they run their operation. They want their employees to eventually open their own restaurants. They're not afraid of competition. They actually welcome it. And they love charging the right price to take care of their staff correctly and to also give them a sense of, um, hey, my food comes with pedigree and, and, and love, and I spend a lot of time with it. You know, if you like it, that's great. If you don't, that's okay too, you know? And, and, and I feel like um, we're in a transitional period where Vietnam is having its limelight in America right now. Not just through representation, not just through food, but I think a little bit of everything. And that's in part why I was open to doing this podcast with you is because I wanted to share a little bit for the listeners who might think, oh, my only option is to be a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant or, you know, some some type of those careers. You know, I, I want to share with them, hey, you know, if you want to open a restaurant, you know, and do modern Vietnamese food, guess what? The top restaurant, top 10 restaurant in America is actually a Vietnamese restaurant. They pull in 25 to 50 mil annually, and they're constantly on the top California restaurant. It's called the Slanted Door in San Francisco. Look them up. You know, so 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 if your parents tell you there's no money in, in Vietnamese restaurant business, you know. They're right, but now they're wrong. Um, you know, it, and then I also want to share my story like, hey, you know, you don't have to follow the cookie cutter, you know, American dream, you know, and be in debt for the rest of your life. You can actually, you know, um, rich dad, was it poor dad, rich dad said this a lot. The difference between rich people and poor people is how they use debt. They're both in debt, but one uses debt to make more money. The other one uses debt to, you know, have that security. And so, you know, um, kind of going off on a tangent, but I'm really glad that, you know, me and you, we have a chance to talk about restaurant, about the food industry, because it also shows, you know, some of the younger listeners or even the older listeners, hey, you know, there's money to be made in a lot of industry. And as Vietnamese people, we're clever as fuck, man. Yeah. You know, like We're very good yeah. at finding out ways from going A to B faster than going A to B. If, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I thank you for coming on because uh, I don't even think, you know, it's, I always feel this like I never had enough time, like in the last like hour and a half or whatever we've been talking. I never feel like it's enough time because I, I want to get more into like the process of, of McMahon and the breakdown. But well, we, we still got 30 minutes if yeah. you want to go at it. I, I do, but there's other things I want to talk about, like the the LA Times article that I read. You know that touched uh-huh. me, make me reach out to you, I, and I that last this last half hour, I want to talk about that and your relationship with Viet over at Recess, and I want to hear about that whole journey that led you from, um, you know, while we're here in COVID, where it led up to that article, and that that's the important thing that you know, half an hour was. So, you know, I, I saw a, a friend post that they were doing something for 1975. They were passing out food at Fulapa, right, for, for the uh, 1975. And obviously, during that time, it was a peak pandemic. So I, I just reached out to him. Um, um, his name is Victor, and he's in, um, he does, um, he's, he's based in 
LA, Orange County. And he does a lot of like the Asian entertainment, like Vid Fashion Week and stuff oh, like Victor that. So, yeah, huh? Victor NL, right? He, yeah, 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 yeah. So I reached out to him. Great guy. And I said, hey, you know, like if you guys need some fish sauce for donations, you know, to make your food to pass out to the old, uh, the, the, you know, the seniors, you know, let me know, I'll drop you off some. And that kind of spiraled into me being able to meet uh, Tam from Advanced Beauty College. The great guy. Great. Yeah. And, and, and then he introduced me to Vid and then, you know, we all got together. You didn't know any of these guys before. You just reached no, out. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I just saw the post and I reached out, you know, because me being local in Orange County, a lot of people think, you know, I'm based in Vietnam, but uh, we actually moved here to launch Sunfish Sauce. So I reached out to him and then Tham kind of put something on my mind. He was like, hey, you know, 1975 has always been a negative uh, day and we have enough negative shit going on already, you know, with COVID. So we wanted to make it a positive thing, right? So instead of being sad, we're celebrating that we were the lucky ones to be able to escape the war alive and are in different countries and you know obviously in america and so let's make it a celebration and 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 then at the same time you know a lot of vietnamese people were out of jobs you know because majority of our population is in the the, the, the hair and nail industry and so what they did was that they started a um a facebook group to cook at home and 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 sell as donations. Yeah. So that's kind of how they got um in LA it's actually legal because you have immigrants cooking tamales and stuff at home they can sell it but in Orange <laughs> County it's not yet. It's kind of a gray area. But then when I saw that I was like, "Hey, this is great. You know, our community is not sitting there waiting for a handout from yeah. the government. They're they're hustling." You know, sometimes it's a little gray area hustle, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. Yeah, but they're out there hustling, trying trying to make money, you know. And and then and then you know the great thing about that was, Bosa overnight turned into a Saigon, meaning you can go to someone's house and eat mi wang from Da Nang. You can go to somebody's house, well, not eat there, but you can buy a ticket home. Beautiful. You can go to somebody's house and eat, you know, like fall back style for real. You can go to someone's house and eat something like uh tambi, which is like Ming Tai style. So it was great to see that. And, and so I also reached out to that group and I was like, hey, you know, like whoever's cooking at home, trying to make a buck, you know, let me donate some fish sauce for you guys. You know, it, it's not, uh, you know, a couple cases is not a lot of money for each people, but it saves them grocery money for, you know, a couple months and worth of fish sauce. Yeah, yeah a, little, a little bit adds up. Right. And that kind of spiraled into, man, they were passing out my phone numbers like, you know, like hotcakes. <laughs> And, um, you know, us in the free stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it got, it, it got so big that I had to move different locations of passing it out. So then when I was able to meet, you know, Tham and Vid and what they're doing, and then Paul came along, Paul does the, the moving forward where, where he helps mental, mental patients and stuff like that. So when all of them got together, I felt like, man, this is so much more organized Right. Than me trying to go out there meeting random people at yeah. supermarkets and just passing it out. Um, so we joined them and then we were passing out. Five, uh, and then so Thomas told me, hey, you know, um, would you be able to commit to one thousand nine hundred seventy five jugs? 
So each jug is about five liters, which is about 10 bottles of fish sauce, almost a case of fish sauce, you know? And during that time, we were servicing all the big restaurant groups in America. We were servicing all the Las Vegas casinos. And obviously everybody shut down. And so, you know, I had a lot of inventory and, and, and I didn't have any consumers for it. And so I felt like, hey, why, why let it go to waste? Why let it expire? Technically, natural fish sauce doesn't expire, but FDA, you have to put a label on it. Yeah. So, and then I saw what they were doing with nailing with America, you know, with the gloves that, that all, the, all the nail supply places had. And, and so obviously all the nail shops were closed. So they were donating those gloves to frontline during that time, right? Gloves and masks, face masks. And, and, and seeing all that, you know, kind of made me and my wife, you know, it, 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 yeah, it inspired us. And then it, um, and then that's just how it happened. And then, so we were just, we were passing out fish sauce at COVID set, but test centers, it got a little bit ridiculous because a couple weeks after that, people would show up and they're like, no, I I don't want the test. I just want the fish sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it, it was pretty funny. Um, Yeah, but, um, and then, yeah, and then Vit is doing, you know, the meals every week, you know, giving them out, so I was like, hey, Vit, you know, just let me know whenever you, you need fish sauce, we'll, we'll stock you up, so, you know, I, I, I felt like I was putting a product to good use, you know, um, in, instead of just letting it sit in my warehouse and trying to figure out ways to sell it for cheap later on or stuff like that, you know, I'd rather do something for the community. You know, um, my, yeah. my my group of friends, uh, we bring this up all the time. It's like during the the the, the time of of this whole panic, uh, this COVID, we panic. We typically, as human beings, we panic, right? But the really badass guys that are you know in business and you know different um, different <laughs> sectors of the of the of the business world, instead of panicking, they pivot. Mm. So what better way to pivot your world than to really support the community? And I think that's a genius um, approach because you, I mean, probably there's not a whole lot of work to do that. There's probably not a whole lot of sales happening and, you know, all of this is going to waste and what better way to get your word out and then to get samples out and to really support the community uh, than by doing it this way, and I commend you, and I'm I'm so proud that um, that that's the approach that you took. You know, thanks, man. And and you know what I also learned from this was this. Um, you know, when when the pandemic happened, I'll tell you this: I definitely panicked because for everybody, nobody knew which sides of the fence they were on. Right? I mean, during the first couple of weeks, we were buckled down at home. I armed up, man. I, I was prepared for war because you didn't know what's going to happen, right? I, I, I mean, I felt like I was living in a Hollywood movie. And um, and also, you know, like um, our fish sauce wasn't going to expire for another year and a half when the pandemic happened. So, so you know, like we felt like we, we, we felt like, hey, we can do more good with it than to sell it later on and ride this out. Right. And 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 what we learned was that, you know, obviously when you do good, you know, good things will come to you. 
and being the pivot part is that I, I think we also learned to be proactive during pandemics because opportunities will present itself, maybe not now or later. But at the same time, one thing I learned was that it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. You know, because because I got to say, you know, like I was very, um, you know, I'm a Christian, so I got to say, you know, God bless me that I was on the right side of the track. There was nothing that I did to prepare for this pandemic, you know. Um, a low background, a year before pandemic, we had decided to put all our budget for marketing and advertising into restaurant groups and casinos across the U.S., so guess what? Uh, what that happened, you know, like like everything we pushed towards, it it all shut down overnight. And so the only thing we had that sustained our business was, um, you know, the the supermarkets. Yeah. And then also because the community was hustling and grinding, you know, like the supermarket sales went up because people were cooking uh-huh. at home more to sell, not restaurants. So that saved us. I would say the pandemic we lost fifty percent of our business overnight. And 75% of the business loss was from restaurant groups. And, um, you know, thank God, um, actually, 2020 is our best year wow. ever. Yeah, in, 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 in hindsight, and in the last wow. five years of launching Sun, it ended up being our best year. And I didn't realize that until, you know, I'm starting to do taxes about a month ago. Because during pandemic, the last thing I wanted to see was numbers, you know, <laughs> yeah. like I, I did not want to see the loss and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, man, I, I mean, um, it was great. We're able to give um, our fish sauce to different organizations. We we found out that a lot of the olders, they were getting, you know, like canned beans or or, yeah. you know, like american food that they can't eat and and so even if they're not getting food and they're getting some fish sauce they're happy yeah um and um i was able to donate to some um to my church and 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 so um it it, honestly yes it feels great to give and and i'm not i'm not sitting here holding my breath waiting for a huge surge in vietnamese business you know sadly you know, like that's one thing I hope the younger generations will change is that we need to learn to support each other more instead of, you know, I don't want to go into this, but basically, you know, get it for free later on and then just going back to your old ways, you know, <laughs> it because I, I looked at the, the business model. Why does Kodak did so well? Um, because when Kodak came out, all the uh, or or the Japanese brand Sony, all the Japanese, they switched from, you know, to their own brand. Like Koreans, the affluent ones, when Kia and Hyundai came out, they stopped buying Mercedes-Benz and Beamers. They all pushed their brand forward, you know? And I hope for the younger generation, you know, hopefully us, we can open the doors, but the younger ones, you know, they, they can really implement it 100% um, in, in, instead of, you know, like not getting pushed into the rat race because I do see a lot of younger Vietnamese Americans that's taking over their family business and they're still being pressured by their parents to kind of like, Hey, you know, it worked before. Why won't you keep doing it now? You know, we have to, we have to evolve and we have to change and we have to be better. We have to always do better. Yeah. That's the only way we're going to get mainstream recognition and, and reality create more billionaires. Yeah. You know, I, I I think we definitely outpace a lot of people, you know, um, 
And then, you know, commun- uh, people like Vit, you know, like he, he is hurting at his restaurant, the recess room, you know, you know, like those places, you know, he, he's the epitome of, he started out as a Vietnamese restaurant with his mom and then he went full mainstream. They were doing great and pandemic happened. And so, you know, everybody's just trying to hang on and hold on. And um, hopefully, you know, we can all make it out to uh, 2022 because it's looking like that way. Vaccine's going to hit this year. Yeah. So our um, my my wife is the general manager of the 626 Night Market um, Uh and business was wiped out for 2020. It looks like so far 2021 doesn't look promising because the slow rollout of the vaccine and um that was you know how i supported my family for so many years is uh you know but then again you know it goes back to panic and pivot you know i could panic uh during 2020 but i decided all right well i have a lot of time and a lot of contacts and i'm just going to get into this whole podcasting thing so i started last year and so out of the pandemic the vietnamese uh with kenneth win you know it's it started from that sort of like um it it freed up my time it um allowed me to kind of like think deeply about what i wanted to to do and that pivot is um i'm so glad that that i was able to be afforded that opportunity and you know what speaking on being pivot people um i i don't want a lot of lists some listeners to think oh you need to have it in you or not actually you know i i learned is that you can decide to be contro- um, to be controlled by external issues or or internal, meaning when external goes bad, internally you can decide to not let it affect you, and that already is pivoting. And right. then from there, when you're able to con- con- uh, control your internal values, you know you will. I I I learned this in business or just in life is that if you can control your internal, you just keep trying. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much you fail, but each time you try, you're gonna afford yourself new opportunities and network and stuff that who knows what would hit, you know. But you just gotta put yourself out there and 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 not let the external issue, um, you know, obviously the pandemic affect you. Um I agree. I completely agree. Um, I want to thank you for coming on with me today. And uh, you know, it's been a a very eye-opening. Uh, experience to hear um, from a Nigmam uh, manufacturing person. And I respect so much of, of that world and what you do and your understanding of um, the process. And uh, thank you for sharing with everyone today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And um, I know we ran out of time, but um, later on, if you're a listener or you want to just basically like 30 minutes, just fish sauce, fish sauce, fish sauce, and really get into the science of it or the business of it, you know, I I would love to come back on and, you know, just stay with that subject. Yeah, I think, you know, we'll figure something out in terms of (laughs) email address or something that I can put in the description, you know. Uh Yeah, if people have questions. Yeah, yeah. they can hit you up and and contact you if that's okay with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm always, you know, like, when we started this, we didn't know anything. So anybody that wants to get into the food and beverage industry or learn about import export and whatnot, go ahead and reach out to me in my email. Um, you can follow me at uh, Sunfish Sauce uh, Sunfish Sauce on Instagram S O N F I S H S A U C E, or you can email me at Danny at Sunfish Sauce dot com D A N N Y. 
And then, yeah, uh, you know, for all your listeners, feel free to reach out and, you know, ask any questions you might have. And I hope that, you know, at the very least, I can share with you my mistakes so you so you guys don't make the same ones I do. Perfect. Perfect. And I'm going to, um, you know, put it out there. I hope that one day you and I can go to some restaurants together. I think that would be a fantastic experience, you know, whether it's a hole in the wall or some really cool stuff like the slanted door one day, you know. Um, I'd love yeah, to, definitely. Love to uh, go out and you know just taste food and live live outside of the this whole pandemic age. You know, this has brought us together, but you know to perpetuate our life in the future, I'd love to get to meet you and and, and have a meal with your wife and you know my wife and, and and live live some life. Yeah, definitely, man. Looking forward to it. I'll bring some fish sauce with me. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful uh, new year. Um, uh, wonderful Ted. And, um, you know, we will, uh, I'm sure, be meeting in the future. Definitely. Definitely. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old school greats and new school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.